0: believe Jesus' words in John about poor people uh, should be interpreted as establishing an existential reality that poverty is an internal, uh, unchangeable uh, given in our world. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of the Jesus for Everyone podcast. My name is Herb Montgomery, and this is episode 414. Our title this week is Mary's Perfume and No More Poverty, and our featured text is from the Gospel of John. This is John 12, 1 through 8. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here, a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected, Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief and as keeper of the money bag he used to help himself to what was put into it leave her alone jesus replied it was intended that he should sa- that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial you will always have the poor among you but you will not always have me so john creatively resets this story from previous versions uh, of the jesus story by including the characters of mary and Martha, and Lazarus. And they are, these are, they're are both significant differences and consistent story elements here. W- what is common in each version of this story is that there was a meal, a woman interrupting the meal, a, a container of perfume, and, and some type of objection from some of those present at the meal. And then Jesus' defense of the woman's actions. Oral storytelling traditions commonly alter Story details for the storyteller's purposes or or the needs of their audience, and John's storytelling does this too. In John's version of this story, we're in Mary, Martha, and Lazarus's home. It's not Simon the Pharisee that we find in Luke. It's not Simon the leper that we read about in Mark and Matthew, and the woman who interrupts uh, 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 with uh, interacts. Sorry, that inter- interrupts the dinner, but interacts with Jesus. In in John's version is Mary of Bethany. That's Martha and Lazarus's sister. It's not the woman of ill repute, as we read about in Luke's version, nor is it an unnamed woman, as in Mark or Matthew. And it's most definitely not Mary Magdalene, contrary to sixth century. Pope Gregory. Mary Magdalene is a completely different character in John's Gospel. But but Mary also anoints Jesus' feet. In Mark and Matthew, that unnamed woman anoints Jesus' head. Foot washing was a customary hospitality practiced at at dinners in a culture where people ate together, seated in a reclining position on the floor, not at a a table that that hid uh, guests' feet. But in this story, Mary's act is one of gratitude, specifically for the events of the previous chapter. And in that chapter, Lazarus, Mary's brother, Lazarus has has gotten sick and and died, and Jesus brought him back from the dead to live again. And this is a repeated theme in the Gospels, life and life-giving, overturning or undoing and reversing death and death-dealing. It's one of the strongest, most life-giving interpretations of the Jesus story for me, the story is not primarily that someone died, uh, even died for you, but but rather that the state's murder of someone who was calling for social change was overturned, undone, and reversed. The life-giving teachings of this this Jewish prophet of the poor from Galilee it, those teachings then lived on in the life of his followers. In Acts 13, 32 through 33, the early believers say, we tell you the good news. So this is the gospel. They, they, they go going to define it. What God promised our ancestors, he has fulfilled for us their children by raising up Jesus. The good news in this interpretive paradigm is not that Jesus died, but that Jesus overcame death, that death dealing uh, and the, the, the death that came as a result of the state violence that was overcome, reversed, and undone. His story is a story of, of, again, life overcoming death, love overcoming in the end, a a love that overcomes hate and fear and injustice and and bigotry. In, In John 11, Jesus conquered, reversed, or undid Lazarus' death. Jesus had said to, to Lazarus and Mary's sister Martha in John eleven twenty five, 25, I am the resurrection and the life. And again, in John, here we find Mary is anointing Jesus in an act of gratitude for Jesus' reversal of sickness and death and his channeling that reversal as the resurrection and the life. And, and we must not miss that in John's story. Jesus states that Mary had been saving this perfume for Jesus' burial. So the fact that Mary instead uses it now, hints to us that she has learned the lesson. Life and love will overcome in the end. She doesn't need to to keep holding on to this for a a, a body that will be laid in a tomb. Um, It looks forward to a life and a love that overcomes death and, and, and hate in the end. And those hearing this story are prepared for how John's version of the Jesus story will turn out. Perfume, again, it won't be needed to anoint a dead body lying lifeless in a tomb, and that tomb will be found empty. And this is the prep work that's going into how John's version will end. Mary has embraced Jesus as the resurrection in life and has chosen again, not to save her perfume for a dead body, but to use it now in gratitude for bringing her brother back to life. And again, this is that, that, that theme, love will in, win in the end. She won't need the perfume later and, and she's using it now. She's banking on the fact that she won't need the perfume later. There's so many social sicknesses are in need of reversal in our society today. I think of the sickness of white supremacy, the sickness of patriarchy and misogyny, the sickness of, of, of classism and greed, the sickness of bigotry against LGBTQIA people, and many more sicknesses that lead to death. What does does it mean for us to live as people who overcome, who genuinely believe that that love wins? And lastly, I want to address Jesus' words, you will always have the poor among you. This statement, it appears in each gospel, each version of the Jesus story that we have in the sacred canon, and it's been used throughout history by the wealthy to discourage Jesus's followers from working toward economic justice and social change. And in this interpretation, Jesus's phrase is a prediction that trying to end poverty is futile, that poverty is an eternal social reality and there's nothing we can really do to prevent it. You will always have the poor with you. And they would like us to think that all we can do is ease poverty in society Uh, uh, Through acts of charity and, and creating a society where poverty actually doesn't exist, that that's actually impossible. But this interpretation, it benefits those who are enriched by the status quo and don't want to see structural change. Justice, remember is not the same thing as charity, and charity is not the same thing as justice. Charity can ease injustice, but it leaves that unjust system uh, uh, unchanged. I want to offer an ant- alternative interpretation of this, this phrase by Jesus, this 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 comment. Uh, poverty, again, it's, it's a human-made reality. We've talked about this before. And therefore, poverty can be eradicated through our choices and how we structure our societies. Consider this passage from the Torah. This is Deuteronomy 15, 1-3. At the end of every seven years, you must cancel debts. This is how it's to be done. Every creditor shall cancel any loan that they have made to a fellow Israelite. And that's important. It'll come back up in a moment. They shall not require payment from anyone among their own people because the Lord's time for canceling debts has been proclaimed. You may require payment from a foreigner, but you must cancel. cancel any debt your fellow Israelite Owes you. However, there need be no poor people among you, for in the among you, not the foreign lands, but among you, in the land the Lord your God is giving you to possess as your inheritance, he will richly bless you if only you fully obey the Lord your God and you're careful to follow all these commands I'm giving you today. So this passage states that there doesn't need to be poor people among the Israelites, that they've been given instruction on how to poverty. And later in the same chapter we read, there will always be poor people in the land. In other words, the surrounding societies outside of Israel. Therefore, I command you to be open-handed toward your fellow Israelites who are poor and needy in your land. And again, that's as opposed to the larger societies in which poverty will always exist because uh, of the way those societies are are shaped. I don't believe Jesus' words in John about poor people uh, should be interpreted as establishing an existential reality that poverty is an internal uh, unchangeable uh, given in our world even if one does however then even if you do interpret it that way I think we can read Jesus as saying that Israelite society has therefore become like the surrounding nations in Deuteronomy where poverty will always exist because of their structure Jesus' words here are indictment of his society's rejection of the mandate to forgive debts every seven years. And therefore, they were choosing to structure their society by immortalizing poverty, just as the surrounding nations had done in Deuteronomy 15. These choices, they can be reversed, and we can structure our societies differently. The early Jesus followers in the book of Acts eradicated poverty from their own community in Jesus' name. With great power, the apostles continued to to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, it says in Acts chapter 4. And then in 33 and 34, it says, and remember, the good news was, was uh, you can see it even here, it's, it's not that Jesus has died, had died. They're not testifying of Jesus' death. They're testifying that he had been resurrected, that his death had been reversed. But then it goes on. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them, that, uh, in them all that there was no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them and brought the money from the sales. Last year, I mentioned the words of Nelson Mandela and Gustavo Gutierrez in the article I wrote, Declaring War on Poverty. And I want to close with those this week, too. This is uh, from Nelson Mandela in 2005 in a speech that he gave in London's uh, Trafalgar Square, and I'll give a, uh, the the title of the speech was Make Poverty History, I'll give a link to it in this week's e-site, but but he stated, like slavery and apartheid, poverty is not natural, it is man-made and can be overcome and eradicated by the action of human beings. And, And again, this is Gustavo Gutierrez, The Power of the Poor in History, page 44. The poor person does not exist as an inescapable fact of destiny. His or her existence is not politically neutral and is not ethically innocent. The poor are a byproduct of the system in which we live and for which we are responsible. They are marginalized by our social and cultural world. They are the oppressed, exploited proletariat, robbed of the fruit of their labor and despoiled of their humanity. Hence, the the poverty of the poor is not a call to generous relief action, but a demand that we go. Go and build a different social order. And again, he's hinting there at the end of the difference, once again, between charity and justice. So there's a lot to consider here. How are you being called to be a conduit of love and healing and life and life-giving in your own context this week? Heart group application, number one, share something that spoke to you from this week's e-site or podcast episode with your heart group. Number two, how do you perceive poverty as something that could be prevented in our society? What would our society have to incorporate in order to eradicate uh, poverty? And discuss and imagine that with your group. And then number three, what can you do this week? big or small, to continue setting in motion the work of shaping our world into a safe, compassionate, just home for everyone. Thanks for checking in with us today right where you are. Keep living in love, choosing compassion, taking action, and working toward justice. I love each one of you dearly. I'll see you next week.